All right, find your seats. Good evening, everybody. Grace and peace. My name is Brian, and uh, welcome to the table. So good to be with you. Uh, no matter who you are, where you're from, whether you are, um, what are all the things, married or single, black or white, gay or straight, um, sinner or saint, no matter who you are, where you're from, we are super glad that you're here. So, um, yeah, and we're kind of getting, we're sort of, we're in the weird in-between stage of the holidays, sort of post-Thanksgiving, and then, ever, anyone started their Christmas shopping? Y'all are on it? A few of you are on it. Anyone, like, not even a thought, like, about, like, uh-huh, a few of you? I've thought of it. I've had a thought, so I'm not quite there, but I'm... So anyway, yeah, it's that kind of, it's that season. So, um, but I mean, I'm glad that you're all here tonight. So we, um, we are in, this is the fifth and final part of our series uh, on values. And so next week we'll be jumping into a new series. It'll be kind of a little mini Christmas series coming into Advent and celebrating the, um, the incarnation, the coming of uh, God among us in Jesus. Um, start that next week, but we're wrapping up our series. So for those of you who have been here, you know, we have five core values uh, and they are thoughtful, inclusive, eclectic, communal, and vulnerable. And so this being the fifth week, we are on to vulnerable. And I want to start actually with a little, um, a little caveat uh, for you note takers. That is the title of my message, vulnerable. You can write that down. Um, so a little caveat. Um, sometimes when people, I don't know, when, for the next you know, 20 minutes or so, I'm going to be emphasizing, you know, be vulnerable, be real, open up, you know, all that. And... Um, this can, I don't know, people, there might be a pendulum swing, and you might hear or what you think I'm saying is, have no boundaries, <laughs> you know, like, just share everything with everyone, that's the Christian way, and I just want to be clear, that's, no, that's not quite what I'm getting, I actually had this moment, I was in a small group with someone, and we are talking about opening up and things, and I was kind of opening up with them, and I kind of shared something with my, my group, um, you know, that I, and I, and I literally said, this is something I want to share with you guys. You know, I wouldn't tell everyone. And one of the members stopped me and they were like, oh my gosh, um, that's actually so helpful for me. I didn't realize that like we, like we could still be vulnerable and real with people, but it didn't have to be with everyone. And I was like, yeah, that's a key insight. So that's sort of my caveat, you know, is it's, um, it's okay to have boundaries. I'm not saying make yourself unsafe. I'm not saying that, right? Be wise. Um, having said that, this kind of starts to tie in with my message last week, um, which was no space, and we talked about being open with people. Um, really, the thing I'm naming is don't don't live quite so guarded, and you know we have those walls up. And of course, there's maybe certain people, certain situations where we need to protect our hearts and right, not just like I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve, so to speak. Right? That's okay. The the key is, do you have some people? Do you have uh, a band of brothers, a circle of sisters, some people around you that you're able to be your real self with? Amen? Right? Like, that's the key. So, um, yeah, okay, so that's my caveat. Now I can proceed to um, kind of, you know, maybe push you a little bit to, to be more open. One uh, way a mentor of mine put it, um, uh, Keith Spurgeon, whom I love, and he, he said, um, you know, Often when it comes to vulnerability, just go one step further than you're comfortable with. And I think that's a good way to frame it. You know, it's not necessarily just like, ah, here's everything. But it's just, you know, with those people that I trust and I know are trustworthy, let me just go just a step further. 
than I normally go, you know? So, um, so we've been kind of throughout the series, we've always had a little paragraph written by our very own Juanita Johnson, my last week to embarrass her. She's so good. This is such a good, she's really good. Uh, so this paragraph um, kind of just summarizes and captures our value. It says, we are a church committed to vulnerability as it is the linchpin to all our other values. It takes vulnerability to be introspective in the way that thoughtfulness requires. It takes vulnerability to allow risk and challenges in the way inclusivity requires. You can kind of hear her weaving in all the other uh, values. Uh, it takes vulnerability to do the work of synthesizing eclectic ideas and thoughts, and it takes vulnerability to foster the kind of depth and relational intimacy that communion inspires. Beautifully put. Um, so our text for tonight is from Matthew chapter 4. Uh, this is, if you've never heard this story of Jesus' temptation in the desert, you're in for a treat. It's, it's um, pretty remarkable. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was famished. Makes sense. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And there, by the way, each of these times when it says, for it is written, he's quoting scripture. Uh, the devil is quoting scripture, which is interesting. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. You pray with me. Lord, we um, just open up ourselves to your presence and to what you want to speak. So God, would you give us ears to hear, God, eyes to see your truth, hearts that are open to it, and feet that are quick to respond in obedience. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I have uh, a friend, and uh, he is he's one of the smartest people I know. He's really sharp, and uh, his name's Ben Metz. A handful of you might know him. And uh, if you've ever met him, you will not forget him, because I think he must be like 6'7 or something. <laughs> He's really tall. And, uh, but he occasionally, if you know ben, or ben, then he goes on rants, and uh, he's, really, he's a really good ranter. And not in like an ugly way, but in a, like he's really thoughtful, and he wants to think things through. And so sometimes, you know, he, um, I, I suspect he's an Enneagram 5, and for any Enneagram fans, you know, 5s are kind of like, I'm a 5, so often I will, I kind of hold things in, I'm like processing, 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 and you're like, Brad, how are you doing, what are your thoughts? Oh, nothing, because I'm just here processing, and then all of a sudden, one day, I'm ready to speak, and then, brrr, 
and just comes, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, right? And then it's sort of back to a month of, well, good day. I just, you know, process. So this was, I caught Ben in one of these rants. I've actually heard him do this rant probably a good three times. Um, and it's, he has Matthew chapter four in mind, this opening story. And uh, this is his, this is his rant. He says, everyone wants to talk about the cross. Like every church I've been to, every sermon I hear, everyone wants to talk about the cross. It's like cross, 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 cross. But you know what no one talks about? The desert. And if you know Ben, he gets, he's very intense. And he kind of leans in and he says, because here's the thing. It was in the desert where it all happened. Why? Because in the desert, Jesus, that was where he chose the person, the leader that he would be. Because it was in the desert. And and by the way, this happens really early in his ministry. This is actually right before his three years of ministry. Because it was in the desert that Jesus refused the thing that corrupts seemingly everyone who touches it. Power. Power. That's what Jesus was offered in the desert. Power. And yet he refused it. Everyone wants to talk about the cross. No one wants to talk about the desert. It's a good rant, huh? It's good. And uh, I'm not going to disagree with Ben. That's not the point of my message. That's not some setup to say, this is what he's missing. No, I think it's mostly right. It's a really good insight. And I, I don't think, um, I mean, I don't want to underrate the cross or something or, um, or say, I guess, overrated. But I think we underrate the desert. I think we, you know, the story is just sort of like, oh, yeah, one of the Jesus stories. Interesting. Anyway, and we just kind of move on. It's like, whoa, that, that was, it's incredibly significant. But what I want to do is go a step further and this, um, it's interesting, there's kind of different ways um, to approach a message. And sometimes you have a topic, and then you come to the text, and then that topic, reading the text, it makes you see it in a different light. And that's kind of what happened um, with me this week, as I had vulnerability in mind. I come to this story, and all of a sudden, I saw the story in a new light. I had Ben's words kind of echoing around in my head. Uh, but I also had this, you know, this image, um, or these, this language of vulnerability. And it struck me that not only did Jesus like his decision to turn down power was also what? It was a decision to remain vulnerable. Can you kind of see that in the story? Right? By refusing, if you think of power, it's sort of the opposite of vulnerability, right? It's like, if I have power, and then, then I get to make you vulnerable. You know what I mean? It's sort of, I'm the top dog, right? And that's, that's sort of how it operates. The, the powerful person is not the vulnerable person, but the one with no power, right? That's like incredibly, oh my gosh, I'm just at the whim of others, right? And so this, this is what strikes me about the Jesus story is that his decision to refuse power was a decision to remain vulnerable. And in fact, I think this begins with the setting, right? It says it's in the desert, the wilderness. And if you've ever been to the desert, as a human being, that's a kind of vulnerable place to be. Remember when I was 12, I went to the Grand Canyon, and I remember they just kept telling us over and over, like, because we're going to go on a hike. And they're like, do you have water? You need water. Make sure you have water. Do you have more water than you think you need? Right? Anyone ever been caught in the desert without, like, enough water? That's just <laughs> not good. I remember, uh, too, it was actually on our way to the Grand Canyon. We drove, you know, through, well, of course, the desert. 
And I remember, I was, did I see the signs? Maybe it was just my parents telling me, because I remember we were going really fast and like, oh, you don't worry about, you don't worry about speed out here. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what they're saying. They're just like, oh no, we don't worry about that. Out here, it's just get through. You just get through as fast as you can, right? Because the desert, I mean, you break down out there. Yikes, you know? Like, so the desert, so that alone, Jesus is in, um, you know, a vulnerable place, right? In fact, to kind of give you the picture, I'd say metaphorically speaking, the desert or the wilderness, it's a place of radical vulnerability, right? It's out there, no people, no corner stores, right? No, no, no. And if you think of it kind of in our own lives, the desert, it's a picture of that place where everything is stripped away from us. You know, all our props, all our crutches, all our, you know, substances that numb us. Little fella, I like him. Um, right? Like all the, it's, that's the desert, right? It's this place of just radical vulnerability and exposure. That's kind of the word, just exposed. Now, it, then it goes further though. And what has Jesus been uh, doing there? Right? Fasting. So this actually leads us into um, kind of the flow of tonight where I want to unpack. What I want to point out is not only is Jesus in the wilderness, and that's, that's a vulnerable place to be, um, but also each temptation is a temptation away from vulnerability. Right, so the first one, we'll unpack this. Stones to bread. Stones to bread. Uh, I think I'd say this is an example of like physical vulnerability. That's the temptation, right? So there's Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's been fasting. Anyone remember how many days? 40? Yep. That's a while. Um, I've never fasted 40 days. <laughs> I don't know if I'd attempt. If you, if you want to attempt such things, you need to track that closely with a doctor. Like that's a, that's no joke. Um, I've done a few day fasts and uh, like multi-day fasts. And that's, uh, Mindy knows, Mindy can laugh at me, my last fast, y'all. I was like, I'm gonna, I was going to go on a personal retreat. And I was like, you know, it'd be good. Good to clear my mind. Like, you know, just connect with God. I'm going to fast leading up to the retreat. And then, you know, go there. So I do this for about 10 hours in. I got, I was hangry, which is, I guess that's not unusual. You're just like, blood sugar. What? At least I have that excuse. My blood sugar's. Oh, you know, whatever, okay. So I'm hangry, but then by hour 20, I'm like, oh, I need like a cane. Like, oh. I mean, I was just, I just, honestly, I was trying to pack because I was going on a personal retreat and I was going to do a tent. I was a tent camp. And I couldn't pack my tent. Like, I was like, oh, I'm so weak. <laughs> it was pitiful. So, right, this is what happens though. If, um, looking back, I was probably lacking some electrolytes. I think that's wise to do like water plus some electrolytes. It's going to be wise. Because um, you just get in this incredibly vulnerable, weak place. So here's Jesus, right? 40 days. I mean, that's profoundly vulnerable and weak. And the text says, now, because you might be thinking, well, well, but it's Jesus. You know, he's like Superman. Well, the text also says he was, he was famished, right? So he's in this place. He's in an incredibly vulnerable place. And then what does the devil come to him and tempt him with? What does he say? Go ahead, turn these stones to bread. In other words, what's the temptation there? Like, become strong, right? You're in a weak place. You're in a vulnerable place. And honestly, I'm thinking if the devil's tempting me, I'm like, that is probably a good move, my friend, right? But, but this is the temptation to move away from a, sort of a physical, a, a bodily, like vulnerability and towards a position of strength. And yet Jesus 
refuses. Um, I, I've been thinking like of, of the ways that this sort of a physical vulnerability, this is part of what it means to be human, correct? Like we're just kind of, I mean, for example, old age, right? It just kind of happens. Get this, start getting the wrinkles. I think it starts here with the smile and then the wrinkles start showing up there. That's what happens to me. I'm getting the little, you know. And, and right, it starts with wrinkles and then the parts of your, the body just sort of, you know, it just starts slowly falling apart. Like, okay, I'm struggling, struggling here. And I can't do, I can't like play the sports I used to play without, I'm coaching uh, my boys' soccer team. And I've noticed I like, I can run hard, but I kind of have to be careful because like I just feel little tweaks, little like the little tendons and thing, like just, it's just little, you know, nothing major yet. I guess that comes in my 40s and 35, so maybe that's on the way, right? But just little tweaks and little just struggling. I'm, my body's slowly falling apart. Or I've seen awesome videos um, for on YouTube. Maybe you've seen these advertisements for like the tight pants that sort of come up and kind of co co gather, you know, all this stuff. Anyone seen? These are fascinating, like, right? Because they're just, the body is, slowly falling apart. Are those Spanx? I'm not sure what those are called. Are they Spanx? Spanx, right? That's amazing, right? Because we need these Spanx because our bodies are just like falling to pieces, right? This is, this is sort of what it means to be in a body, to be vulnerable, right? Do what? <laughs> okay. You get the point. You all know well, right? This is, this is part of the journey, right? And so whether it's old age or it's sickness or it's hunger, uh, or death, right? Not to cast too much of a, you know, <laughs> but that's just, that's, right? This is what it means to be human, right? There's a certain physical vulnerability. This is, um, yeah, part of our lives. Um, so that's first. I think you can see in the stones to bread, a certain temptation away from physical vulnerability. Um, second is, this is the Temple Mount temptation. I'm gonna call this social vulnerability. Um, I need to unpack this a little bit, because this can be kind of the most mysterious of the temptations. Like, what is the thing? If you'll recall the text, uh, the devil leads him up, it says, to um, the holy city and to the pinnacle of the temple, and then says, go ahead, jump off. It's like, what is this temptation about? Um, honestly, it, was, it befuddled me for years until I read um, a Catholic uh, spiritual writer named Henry Nouwen, and he says uh, that that temptation um, is... Well, if you think of Jesus and who he is, so he was, um, basically, he was kind of a nobody. He's a Jewish carpenter, Nazareth, um, obscure, unknown. This is early in his ministry, so no one knows Jesus. And what Nowen points out is that the, the Temple Mount, this was basically the temple in Jerusalem, like Jerusalem was built kind of on, a, on the side of a hill. So you go up, and so the temple is at the highest point of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem Back then, I mean, it, we would think of it as a small town, but in the ancient world, and for Israel, it was like New York City. You know, it was the place. And there was thousands of people that lived in that space. So if you think of the temple, it's the temple's at the highest point, and then the temple itself, the Temple Mount, is the highest point of that building, right? So it's like being at the tippy top of the highest building of the highest point in that city. And of course, it's a temple, so there's constantly traffic, foot traffic, people in, people out, you know, all the stuff. So in other words, what's going on here is the, the devil is tempting Jesus to um, put on a spectacle, right? He's there. He's about to swan dive off the highest building at the highest point in the city. And, it become, and then what's going to happen, right? You remember the, what's going to happen? The, 
the angels, angels, right? And the angels are going to catch you, right? In other words, he swan dives. And I mean, imagine this. There's thousands of people below and he, he dives off. They're like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden, angels, whoosh, catch, set him down. What's going to happen to Jesus, right? He's going he's gonna to go from obscure nobody to overnight Instagram sensation, right? Like this is, I mean, this is, is an incredible, um, uh, noteworthy thing that is going to, it's going to attract him what? Uh, fame, adoration. I mean, he's going to be a somebody like that, right? And, and in ways, isn't this what we long for, right? Like what is it about attention that just touches something deep within us? Um, I've been thinking about this and I think it's that, I think it's about identity. I think it's about the way that the community, um, it, um, it, it almost validates who I am, right? When the crowd, when the masses can say, look at him, right? Look at her. Wow. What does that do for the person receiving it? That builds us up, right? <gasps> Yes, I am worthy. I am someone. I, I, I am a somebody, right? And, and I think this is uh, what we long for. Um, because in that place, right? Because when we're obscure, when we're unknown, what do we feel? Vulnerable. Maybe I'm not worth much. Maybe I'm not that lovable. Maybe I'm not that acceptable. Maybe I really am a nobody. That's a, that's a vulnerable place to be. Um, so last week or the, the week before last for Thanksgiving, we went and visited family in South Carolina. And uh, it's interesting, you know, to go around family that I hadn't seen in many of them, most of them years, four or five years, and some longer than that. And that's kind of a, anyone have that dynamic when they, over the holidays, did you see anyone that's kind of, you know, it's just, it's been a while. And that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, we kind of had, I just had the same conversation with people over and over, you know, like, hey, oh my gosh, how are you? How's your family? How are the kids? You know, and then of course, right, because they've seen online and stuff like, and how's the church, you know? And, uh, and then of course, this is the follow-up question, always. What's the follow-up question? Do you know? How many are you running? Right, that's always, for pastors, that's like a classic question. You know, it's like, so how many people are going to your church, right? And I'm, so I keep having this conversation. I was like, oh, well, you know, um, it's pretty good. You know, I'm grateful. I mean, we just started, you know, four weeks ago. But, and they're like, well, but how many? <laughs> and I'm like, well, about 40, you know, 50, 60 on a good night, you know? And they're like, oh, good for you, you know? And here's the thing. Um, honestly, I mean, I was okay with it in the moment. I mean, a little, I'm a little insecure, but, you know. Um, but what was going through my head had this weird kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it, um, kind of almost like, a, an ima like imagining that same conversation. And I was imagining it like three years, four years, five years from now. Like I was literally envisioning showing up to that same family reunion and them asking me all those questions, you know, and, it's, and I know they're going to ask the same questions. And me being able to say, oh, you know, now I'm faster, so I'm going to, you know, be humble, a look of humility on my face. But it probably would be hard to hide my smile of pleasure, you know, 
when I'm able to say, oh, you know, 200, 300, 500, 800. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy's an egomaniac. Um, Right now, what does that say about me? What does that say? I'm human. Thank you, Marshall. That's sweet. Uh, And it says, there's, uh, it says, I've still got some work to do. You know, I'm still on the path because what that's speaking to is a certain um, insecurity and a certain sense of vulnerability in me. You know, don't you, like, I just want to be awesome. (laughs) You know, anyone ever just want to be like, I just want to be awesome. You know, and I don't, I don't want to be a nobody and I don't want to be obscure. I want to be known and I want people, you know, I want to take that flying leap off the Temple Mountain, have the angel. I mean, if I knew the angels were going to catch me, I'm probably going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, well, you, okay, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say attention horror. I'm not going to say that in church, right? But you know what I mean? Like, just, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to just kind of do this. And that's, what is that? I, I'm going to call it social vulnerability. Right, that we give, we give the crowds power in our life, right, to validate who, um, who we are. Because um, to be spectacular, to be gifted, to be famous, oh, that just touches something in us. Touches it deep. All right, so that's the second. Third temptation uh, is the kingdom's temptation. Uh, this, I'm going to call this hierarchical vulnerability. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will, what? Fall down and worship me. So here's Jesus, the Jewish peasant. If you know anything about that, that time in the first century, they're occupied by the Romans. So Jesus, we're just going to say that he's on the bottom of the dominance hierarchy, right? The world is sort of like a pyramid in ways, especially the ancient world, but even today. It's kind of, you know, it's a pyramid. And you kind of, the higher, only so many people can be in charge, right? And so it kind of narrows there at the top. And so what does everyone want to do? Wants to climb the hierarchy, right? And so what's the temptation? Satan is offering him to go right to the top, right? To jump right up and be in charge because Because what's the reverse? What's Jesus' current situation? To be a Jewish peasant occupied by the Romans is to be at the bottom of the hierarchy, which is to be incredibly vulnerable. In other words, if Jesus takes this temptation, he's choosing, he's saying, I want to be a powerful somebody instead of an obscure nobody. Isn't isn't that something in us that longs, like I want to be a powerful somebody instead of an obscure nobody. And yet over and over and over again, three times, Jesus continues to refuse this move. He continues to to, to refuse power and he continues to choose the vulnerable path. And if you know the rest of his story, This is how he lives his life. He chooses in a vulnerable place. There were times where people were begging him to be the king. Like, dude, you have a promising political future. (laughs) And he just keeps choosing the path. Until ultimately, it leads him where? The cross. 
like ultimate vulnerability. And so this gets me to thinking like all week, like why? Why? Why did he choose this? And why um, do so many, um, so, even the scriptures and so much of the Christian tradition is constantly encouraging us, pushing us towards vulnerability. And just like, what? Why is this just craziness? So I want to close with giving you two quick thoughts on the why. Like, what? why choose vulnerability? Why did Jesus choose it? And why on earth should um, first? Because vulnerability is inescapable. Vulnerability is inescapable. See, I think in many ways we're operating under an illusion that, that if I can just get to the top of the hierarchy uh, or if I can just make more money or if I can just change my circumstances, then I will no longer be vulnerable. And the truth is, at one level, I'd say there's sort of truth in that. You might be less, and yet, what do you find? As you climb that hierarchy, what happens? People are gunning for you, <laughs> right? And all of a sudden you worry, oh my gosh, I'll have this position. What if I lose it, right? Or you got your pile of money, and then what do you worry? Oh my gosh, what if it goes away? What if the stock market crashes? What if, what if, right? And, and I think we kind of, this is where, where I'd say Jesus sees farther than us. We're trying to figure out a way to be less vulnerable. Jesus understands, look, that there's a certain inescapability is that a word? Inescapability, <laughs> right? It's, it's inescapable, our, our vulnerability. We can't get away from it or around it. Um, I love this quote from uh, T.R.V. Murty. He says, changing the external world to suit one's desires is the way of worldly men. It is like carpeting the whole earth to avoid being hurt by thorns. It's a brilliant image. He says, the same end can be achieved more effectively and inexpensively by equipping oneself with a pair of shoes. In other words, I think sort of fighting vulnerability is, is like an attempt to carpet the whole earth. Whereas choosing to just say, you know what? I'm human and I'm vulnerable. And then relaxing into that learning to embrace that and be comfortable with it. That's like getting um, a good pair of shoes on, right? And all of a sudden, what can people do to you? You're comfortable in that place, all right? So that's first. Vulnerability, it's, it's inescapable. Um, second, I'd say this, it's way better than the alternative, because if you think about it, right, what's the alternative? Like, we're like, you know what? I'm just not going down that vulnerability path. Like, nope, just not for me. I don't care what Jesus says. Like, it's just not for me. Maybe it's for other people, you know, but just not me. Um, but here's the thing. What, what happens, like, what's the other path? Here's a quote. This is from Brene Brown. She says, owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. God, that's insightful. Right? If you think about it, that's she's setting up the contrast, right? You can say, I'm just running from my story, right? Just my past. It's just full of pain and crap. And I'm just, nope, I'm just not going there. And I don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to process it. And I'm just done. And right. But, and so we just kind of disown it. And yet, and, it, and because it's painful, right? That's hard. But what's the alternative? It's not nearly as difficult as spending our lives 
running from it. She continues, embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy. And that's the trade we make. Right? When I say, I'm not going there. I'm not being vulnerable. Like, forget it, is we end up making this trade. Because if you think about it, love and belonging and joy, that all requires a certain vulnerability. Right? Because you say, oh, I might be hurt if I'm going to love someone. They might hurt me. And you are giving them power to hurt you. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But what's the alternative? <laughs> To live a life without love, without a sense of belonging, without joy? Like that is, a, that is a steep price to pay. She says this, only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. And so here at the table, we're going to choose the vulnerable path. And it's true. Uh, that we might get hurt. We might. Uh, but I think in the end, we are going to thrive because of it. And I want to speak that over you, that if you'll choose this path, you are going to thrive. You're going to flourish because of that decision. And yes, it will be hard. And yes, it, you might get hurt. In fact, it's inescapable. You will. But you know what? Like choosing to live like with your full heart. That's a beautiful thing. You bow your heads, close your eyes. Let me pray over us. Lord Jesus, um, we, God, we need courage to be vulnerable, courage to be real, to be our true selves. And so I lift up just each person here as they are caught in that battle between a decision to be vulnerable and real and true or not. And I pray over each and every one of them, God, your courage, your strength. May you lead all of us into a place, into the path that Jesus tread. That path of realness. God, make us real. And forgive our fakeness. Forgive my fakeness. God, make me just me. And I think that's maybe the invitation from God to, to some of you tonight, is simply, like, be you. Be you. You don't have to spend your life longing to be someone very different than who you are. Be you. So God, we say yes to you. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Lead us forward. In the name of Jesus, I pray.